Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Today on Conflict Managed, we are joined by Tuba Belichick, an accomplished mediator, lawyer, outsourced ombuds, conflict management consultant, and trainer based in Washington, D.C. With extensive experience mediating civil, commercial, employment, and workplace disputes, she closely collaborates with organizations providing expert advice on effective conflict management and cultivating a positive and respectful workplace. Beginning her ADR career in Turkey, Tuba played a significant role in developing mediation awareness and implementing commercial and workplace alternative dispute resolution. She has worked with diverse clients worldwide, including international organizations, private companies, NGOs, government agencies, and individuals. Tuba's approach to alternative dispute resolution is informed by her combination of litigation, transactional, and in-house general counsel experience, enabling her to deliver tailored solutions that meet each client's specific needs. Her cross-cultural competencies and extensive experience in working with clients from diverse backgrounds make her a valuable asset for organizations seeking to adeptly manage conflicts. Tuba is a distinguished fellow of the International Academy of Mediators and is awarded the prestigious Weinstein Jams International Fellowship in 2017. She holds a Bachelor of Law degree from Mamara University and a Master's of Law in ADR from University of Southern California. Tuba is also an amateur sailor and oral storyteller. Good morning, Tuba, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Hi, Mary. Thanks for the invite. It's lovely to be here. Oh, it's so lovely to see you again. It was nice having that dinner that we had together that we shared when we were in Seattle at the International Ombuds Association Conference. Absolutely. That was fun. Well, let's just go ahead and begin. Will you tell us about the first job you ever had? Uh, My first job was a junior lawyer in a mid-sized law firm in, in Istanbul, Turkey, my home country. And this firm was specializing in in business law. And uh, I did not have a substantial working experience before that. And uh, I soon realized I didn't really know. I had my own expectations and assumptions around what it would be look like being a lawyer. And I soon realized uh, it was very different experience than I expected and I think I was a bit disappointed and I struggled with that for for quite some time. You know that's so interesting that you say that because when our in our first real jobs we do have these expectations where they come from I think is interesting to think about Uh, but what what did you think it was going to be like versus the reality that you encountered? Uh, Law school was tough and I think I had the illusion that the the hardest part was over and now I'm and, and I was a good student and obviously I was not really connected with the reality of the professional world at that time and but I was thinking okay and I'm I'm confident I was a good student and now like things are going to be fun but it wasn't and and I think it, having the wrong expectations played a big role, but also at the beginning, you know, legal profession is very hierarchical. And uh, I felt like I also didn't have much mentoring at that time. And I was too afraid to to ask for anything. I 
I was feeling a lot of pressure around like, oh, am I supposed to know all these things? But I'm new to this and I don't know. And how do I get to the information? Because there is also a lot of unspoken rules and things that you need to figure out by not through the the books or written resources, but through the people. And reflecting back, I think that was my biggest struggle. I until I managed to find some mentors and allies, I felt all alone, to be honest. Gosh, that is so that is so telling that the impact in mentors can have or the lack of mentors. Because we learn whatever we learn in school, but a lot of what we learn in, at university or whatever kind of school that we go to, it, it doesn't really have to do with the the, the practical day-to-day, the unwritten rules, as you said. The, and that so much of that is local. It could be one place in one firm, another place in a different organization. And a lot of us don't leave school thinking, the first thing I need to do is find a good mentor to help me navigate this organization. Absolutely. And mentoring is priceless, but also I think the peer support, I also lacked that peer support. It was a super competitive environment and and I felt like all my peers, like young lawyers like me who were working for the same law firm, they were super competitive and I couldn't get to connect with them. Although, you know, I made some attempts at that time and and that was very isolating too. So I think if the two were were present, like the mentoring opportunities and and also like perhaps setting the right expectation if if I was told that it's okay to ask questions and I was not expected to. Yeah, another thing I wanted to say, like I think there was lack of communication on the expectation side. So I was not fully aware of what is expected from me and I felt the pressure that I had to deliver everything that was asked from me like to a really really high standard and and I am a I'm suffering from perfectionism still to this day (laughs) I'm trying to cope with it better but at that time I was taking it much more seriously and it was a big big pressure I can tell you. I think a lot of professionals are like that. And so this lack of clear communication about what exactly is expected, then especially if you're a really good student and you are a perfectionist, you want to do everything really well. But are you supposed to do everything, right? If you're not told precisely what is expected and what the standard and what done looks like or what excellent looks like, what does it look like when you're when you're on the other side without that communication? It's such a disservice to the people employed in an organization. Yeah, absolutely. And legal profession is like like many other professions, there is a lot at stake. So you don't want to make mistakes and it's a lot of responsibility and, and personal credibility, of course. So I was ambitious. I wanted to do good, but I see now that I lacked the the tools and experience to do as good and it's it's a process and it makes real difference when you have clear guidance and support or when you are on you feel at least you're on your own and you I mean there has been situations far later like people oh you should have asked but like I wasn't mentally feeling like 
I could ask, it was okay to ask, which is interesting looking back. Yeah, that is interesting how a lot of times an environment, you know, they say after the fact, why didn't you ask? And I guess the question is, well, why didn't you make it a place where I felt like I could ask? Yeah, absolutely. I think it goes both ways, like you said, you know, and uh, that would have been perhaps an an advice to my younger self if I was looking back and like, okay, ask more more questions. Don't hesitate to ask. Get more comfortable asking questions. And but it's easy to say now, and uh, and I think it can't be just all the, this responsibility of asking questions can't be just on one person. The, there are others who should open the space so that people can ask the questions and know that it's okay to to ask questions. Yes. See, but I wonder if you would ex- explore this idea of competitiveness. I am not a competitive person and I find it in general dis distasteful. I don't like with people, I I don't want to compete. I want to work together. I think when we work together, we get a better product. Everybody is happier. And yet I know that some people thrive on competition. How do you see competition and, and competitiveness as being helpful in a work environment and being detrimental in a work environment? I don't know if I'm the right person because I'm, I'm just like you. I think competition never really worked for me and made me feel motivated to do something and to compete to get better I was always more motivated to collaborate and I think I performed best when I feel like I'm part of the team and I'm collaborating with people but like you said I have seen some people who are really motivated and and I think even in the most competitive environments, and uh, I've worked for the IT industry and I can see for many people who are in sales business, competition is super important. They have their benchmarks and they live with competition. And by looking at others, what they are doing, you know, all the other companies which operate in the same market, not just professionals so it's part of the business life and I do understand that but even within those very competitive environments I think there is so much room uh, for collaboration and it's often uh, you know I think people leave a lot of value on the table and uh, and what I mean is like there is so much we can learn from each other. And when, when it's over competitive, I I have experienced people holding on to information and their own experiences rather than sharing them, making them available for other people. Even in some situations when they feel like somebody could do with that advice or, or experience. And I I think it all comes down to what is valued in an organization and and the success parameters because you know if you measure success just by by figures and results then 
you know, eventually it's understandable that some people will not be motivated to share their experiences. And there is some sometimes this understanding that it took me so long to to have this know-how and it's it's valuable and I worked so hard for it. So why should I give it to somebody else so easily? And, you know, if 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 that's the mentality, if that's what's been rewarded, it's also... I mean, I still don't approve, but I, I understand where it, where that motivation comes from. So in my opinion, it's not just the individual's responsibility. It's also the work culture, the organizational culture, and what the organization encourages people to, to do. I hope that answered your question. Oh, yeah, that was perfect. I absolutely agree. And it is a work culture that prizes. What does the work culture prize, right? So that collaboration, competition, and it seems like there's a healthy sweet spot. You know, if we think about like ethical competition in any sort of like sports, you know, there are rules. And if we're going to, if we're going to pit in a sense, people against each other within the same organization, there, there needs to be clear rules where we never violate the dignity of another, where it's not, there's no backstabbing. But beyond that, you could, to the detriment of your own organization, as you said, by withholding information. When yeah. you withhold information, we say, okay, well, we're doing this because it's numbers oriented and these achievement matrix, but probably the organization would sell more, innovate more, if they actually collaborated and took advantage of everybody that's there, who's been there the longest, who just came in a month ago and take advantage of all that creativity and knowledge and, and age and background. And so in a way, this I think this old way of thinking about excelling through this like strict kind of competition is outmoded and it actually isn't giving you the best result, the organization or the people. Absolutely. And I also feel like, you know, the more experience I have, I kind of see that we all have something that somebody else needs. And so if I if I hold on to that information and not share it, eventually somebody else is going to do the same to me. And I will not have access to the resources that's going to make my life easier. It's a lot of like loss of energy and efforts. Absolutely. It just seems, yeah, mis misplaced energy and effort where we could be on mission. We could actually be sharing and then growing. And then there's more to learn and more to share. It's this sort of symbiotic relationship when we actually collaborate with one another. Absolutely. So after this experience, um, when you were a fresh young lawyer, what did you do next? So I, after that, I couldn't stay there perhaps mainly because it was a very competitive environment and that didn't work for me. I couldn't stay there for long and I decided to, to practice independently. I had a friend who encouraged me and for a couple of years I had an independent uh, legal practice and uh, later I started working as a general in-house counsel for um, a large group of companies in the IT industry, uh, which was a role that I really, really enjoyed. And I learned a lot, not just um, about legal profession, but also about business. It was 
it lasted until like 2014 when I started my mediation practice. So it was like a really, when I look back, it was like a business school experience for me, like a live business school experience. And I had a lot of, I think that's where I really started to grow as a, as a professional and had a wider perspective and I'm grateful for that experience because uh, it's still all that experience is helping me today in my dispute resolution work as a as a mediator. It helps me to have a better understanding of the of the nature of commercial conflict uh, as well as the organizational conflict. When you were in that role um, as the in-house counsel. It, was it nurturing? It sounds like it was a nurturing environment if you if you were able to learn all of this about business itself. I was super lucky to work with really exceptional leaders. But uh, I must say, like, I think at the at the beginning, it was difficult to find my my voice. I was still quite young and uh, it was, I didn't know the organizational culture. Again, it was quite different than the law firm experience or the independent practice. And uh, it took me some some while. And I had the reflexes of like not asking many questions and being more observant. And uh, when I was new to the role, I felt like, you know, there was a lot of like, organizational jargon and the IT industry has its own jargon and I was not really well versed in in some topics which were being discussed and and I was just thrown there and I remember I was at some meetings and just listening to people and again it was the same kind of feeling that I described in the law firm as a junior lawyer I was like oh am I supposed to know this and like and I think I suffered a little bit from with imposter syndrome at that time, but I picked it up quicker at that time. And I was like, I think what gave me most confidence was like, I studied a lot. I started studying like business terms and trying to understand the key performance parameters and start to learn more about the, the IT industry and the specific dynamics. and. Uh, and also, I had great mentors, which which made such a, it was a nurturing environment, like you said. And I think what made the biggest difference is to have that kind of support. I knew that I had people who I can go and, and ask my questions. Not only that, we had regular check-ins with, with the with the leadership. I was reporting to the board of directors and a and knowing that I have that channel of open communication was a real asset. And I think it helped me helped me grow. It helped me feel comfortable and supported and safe. That's wonderful. We talk a lot about mentors and how important finding a mentor, having mentors are. How did you find your mentor mentors? It's like by trial and error, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> because that's a good question. I never really thought about that. It was it it became 
it grew organically this this bond you know we were not like matched as mentor and mentee when I look back but there are there were people who I feel more comfortable and if you ask me why I think first they were non-judgmental and they were really really good listeners all of them and and I know that when I feel lost or when I face a difficult situation or when I am confused about what strategy I should follow, uh, they were always available and they were open and they were good listeners. They wouldn't judge me. I think that was very important to me because uh, I think especially in the first years of my career, I was like, I had a lot of self-doubt and I felt like, okay, if I reveal this, what would they think of me? And uh, would they see me as incompetent? And would this indicate any kind of like lack of know-how that I should be knowing? And I had a lot of like these worries in my head. And finding a space where I feel like I can be myself, I can talk about like my my worries or ask my questions without fearing of be, being judged by the, the person that I really respect and want to get the feedback from was really, really, really valuable. And it made me very comfortable. Even just having one person of that kind, I think is really big asset. So yeah, they were really, really good listeners and not necessarily like showing me what to do or offering me a solution in a difficult situation, but really helped me analyze and by way of like setting a good example, sharing their own experience and and reminding me of some tools, sometimes asking the right question. I like how you said that it just happened organically because a lot of times people think, okay, I need a mentor how do I find one? Well, one of the best things to do is just to look around. Who do you already admire that you know? Who do you already trust? Who do you think will be open to listen to you and not be judgmental and not maybe be Mr. or Mrs. Advice, you know, but being one, somebody who will come alongside and share and listen and someone that is open to you. And I think if we, if you start looking for those people in your life, then that's, I think, when they appear. Absolutely. I think, I think looking for them and also recognizing the value of, of a good mentor. And because sometimes I think, especially for, for young professionals, our insecurities can be a real setback and like oh I shouldn't show that I'm I am in doubt I should appear as somebody who's confident I, I and I think there is a lot of pressure in the business world towards this but at the same time you know we all start from somewhere and and develop and and if you know, it takes so much longer to develop on your own and it's super helpful. So having the right mindset and looking for that person is definitely the first step. And also, like, I think I had some unsuccessful attempts and I felt like, oh, this person could help me. And it was like, no, but but it's OK. You know, you tried. And I think 
we shouldn't see it as as defeat and by the way you know no matter how much we are experienced we can all use use mentors i i still have a lot of mentors and and i'm very grateful to to have them in my life and i know that i can rely on their advice whenever i need to or just just to brainstorm together is always a really enriching experience and i don't always agree with them but it's always great to to hear different perspectives and it's it's very enriching so yes looking out for them and and also i think i would say like if it's a, not the experience you expect just look for somebody else absolutely and i think so i've had that experience too reaching out to somebody getting the courage to do it and realizing no that's really not the person for me but that's okay right that's actually a success because You've tried and now you're someone who can do that and who is looking and that opens you up to this is what I want and this is what I'm pursuing. And I'm also trying to refine what is a good relationship or a good fit for me and for that other person. Yeah, that, and that's very personal, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think some level of compatibility is important. That person may ha- have the experience and know-how that you're looking after but it may not be that the the chemistry right. and compatibility may not be the same. You know, the way you communicate may not be the same. I think it's also important to have a good time with your mentor, having those conversations and to to feel feel safe in that conversation. So how did you um, transition from being a lawyer to being a mediator and an ombuds? So... Uh, in as I said, like in 2013, 14, the there was no mediation practice in Turkey where I was practicing my home country at that time. And it was like the first legislation about mediation came into effect. And almost purely by chance, I happened to learn about it and there was a mediation course and I I took a chance and uh, and it was a really good course. I was really hooked and I became very passionate. I immediately I started applying what I learned in the course and it was like I think it was I felt like it was such a better fit for my personality and my values and and goals and I felt like it was a calling for me. I was really impressed by how human-centered this process is rather than purely focusing on on legal rights, what is right and what is wrong. And, and, you know, since then I became very passionate about promoting the mediation, expanding the use of mediation and, and helping people, serving people through, through helping them move beyond their conflicts. How have you seen your practice of mediation affect your own life? Has it? Absolutely transforming. It has. As I said, I first started to implement because at that time I had I had some challenges with personal conflicts in my life. And uh, I started applying those principles and see what works. And but I think, you know, oh, we sometimes think that the solutions are outside or changing somebody, but it was like, I think perhaps more than half of it was to, the, the shift I had in the way I see things, in the way that I handle things. And 
and developing the ability to hold multiple truths in my, you know, in my perception, it was very important. And it was, all this was very much aligned with my personal values. So it felt so right. And it felt like such a better space. I also grew up in a family who were but a wonderful family, I must say, but many members of the family lacked the conflict resolution skills and that made our life quite complicated in in many occasions and it was it was a relief to to be able to be, become a better communicator than what i was and uh, and see things differently engaging conflict also not shying away because i realized that i was avoiding a lot of situations that was the the main way believe it or not i was handling like personal conflict but which barely helps because it all comes back at some point so it was really really transformational and very liberating i felt like you know i can find my authentic self and it helped me also to set boundaries and be able to talk about the the boundaries you know when i was equipped with more tools i think I did a better job. I started doing a better job to set the boundaries and protect my boundaries. I had the language and tools to be able to to do it for myself and and also respect other people's boundaries, recognize them, which is very important because it's at the root of many personal conflicts. I love the word that you use, relief. That just really stuck with me because I think about that with mediation and conflict resolution, that it is a relief because I've been an avoider most of my life with conflict. It makes me uncomfortable. People pleaser, recovering people pleaser, recovering someone fixer who needs to fix the world. And it's a relief to know that I don't have to fix anybody else. That's not my job. It's It's a relief that I don't have to run from the conflict. But that is actually less scary to sit in it and look at it and make decisions, not based on fear, but on what are my boundaries? What is it that I want to do instead of what do I need to do to manage the situation, manage everybody else and not have to worry about myself? Yeah. And what you say reminds me that like, it's sometimes not just about the other person, you know, I check in with myself, was I clear about my boundaries or, or, or did I communicate well, my, my needs, expectations, and, and that's important, you know, be more proactive about like, and this is part of the conflict management, because by doing this, you can actually avoid a lot of conflict to go further absolutely I also had a shift when I um, started college I found philosophy which I didn't know anything about and then I taught philosophy for over 20 years and it just really sat with me and I love ideas and taking part of ideas and it's all very external right so I love a good argument I love talking about the nature of existence and knowledge and all that kind of fun stuff but what I love about my second half of my life of of my career is sort of an inward shift, which is also I see in philosophy, but I understand it in a different way about instead of looking at external things and taking them apart, how do I, how does that practically work for me? And how does that practically work for others? And 
I, I see all of the stuff that I did in philosophy as being very transferable, but it's just a just a shift that goes in. So boundaries, I could talk about that externally, but to feel it and to think about it and to apply it and think about that real world personal for myself, but for others as well. Absolutely. It goes both ways, internal and outside. And, you know, again, reflecting back, I feel like I was more in the mindset that people should know what my boundaries are. And, uh, you know, indirectly, I made it clear. And so why why are they not respecting? But, you know, that is hardly the situation anymore and and I always recheck and what assumptions I make because we constantly make assumptions and that's how our brain operates but it doesn't necessarily mean that our assumptions match the the truth so it's it's really useful to to remember and use the tools that we we are in our in our disposal. That's right. As you said in the beginning, communication. But so much we tell ourselves, well, everyone should be professional at work. They should just be professional. In other words, they what should that know. Mean? That's right. Well, what does that mean? And what do I think it means? What am I, what does this other person say? I am being professional. There's this disconnect. And so being able to articulate, and that's what I love about mediation. What I love about um, the ombuds work is giving people a space to really unpack all of that. And before you even need to talk to the other person, there's that, you know, that you're in a conflict with, that really getting clear and articulating for yourself, well, what is the problem precisely, right? And why do, what do I precisely think needs to happen or what, what are my needs that are underlying, of course, my, my, um, my want and all, all of that. And so it's so very personally empowering to, to, have these conflict resolution skills and to work with the neutral because we all need help. Mentor, doctor, mechanic, we all need this kind of help, but that that neutral to give us the space to breathe and think and reflect and then act. Absolutely. I, I fully agree. And what I want to add to, you know, you you stated very clearly, but I want to also say from the organization's perspective, like your example about like everybody should be professional. What does it mean? And this, I think in my observation, it happens a lot with organizational values, like, okay, we should be ethical, but like perhaps, you know, organizations invest in ethics procedures and set clear rules about that. But on on other, other topics, I think programs, ombuds programs are a great opportunity to, or any organization to put their values in in practice and actually provide a a container where people can talk about those values and how they want to live by those values and how do they feel like when when a value is, is not in place or when there is an action which is not in in alignment with those those values and if they have a place to go if they have a safe space to talk about this and how this is impacting them and what are their options at such a juncture it's really valuable because it shows a lot of commitment from the organization that 
they are not just values on paper, but they really care about living by those values. And I think that's a great opportunity for, for organizations to, it's certainly not the only benefit of an ombuds program, but also I think it creates an inclusive space and it gives voice to to people, to to employees, which create the organization, basically. That's right. And I love that options. Uh, so much in, in our organizations, we don't think we have options. It's be silent or start some sort of disciplinary proceeding through HR or sue. Like We just don't feel like we know very many options. What are the options available? And so you're right. Having the organization say, well, no, we care about you as people. We want you to have the best outcome and we want the best outcome from our organization because we know those symbiotic relationships, the people that you in the organization are happy and healthy uh, and flourishing. The organization flourishes. Right. And um, making that space to give people options and self-efficacy and that treating people as adults uh, is very good for organizations yes. and, and empowering them. And, yes. you know, and also it's a great way to to seek collective feedback, like how how does the employees feel? How how does it affect them in their day-to-day life? How this is this value really represented in, in their experience in the organization? Or how would them how would they like to to see see it? And and there is there is so much, it's such a great, great tool that organizations can use to to get that that feedback because I think you know it can do much better job than just sending employee surveys right absolutely so Tuba when you think about your different work experiences and organizations that you've been in what strikes you as the best experience either at an organization or with a particular colleague that you've had and what was it that was so good for you well it's hard to choose but one of the one of the most rewarding experiences while I was um, I was working as a general in-house counsel was to be appointed as the board secretary. And that role exposed me to a wealth of knowledge, experience, uh, best practices from a diverse group of board members, which really, I can say, significantly enhanced my professional growth and development I was working closely with the board and top executives so and until then you know I was a purely legal mind and uh, so I gained a unique perspective on the company strategy industry trends market dynamics and I became really involved and interested to learn more about that and the competitive landscape uh, all that impacts the the company and it developed me to, to have a better understanding of the broader business uh, context. But also, uh, I must say, I became more aware of the challenges and, uh, and the decision-making and operational issues uh, that were faced by the company and, uh, and how, um, how the executives were strategizing and how they had differing opinions and uh, how they were finding a, a common ground. So it really helps me to see the, the larger picture and the process and do my job better at that time as a general in-house counsel. But the reason I picked that experience is I I feel like I'm still benefiting that. 
because, you know, I now, as a mediator, whenever I work with, with executives, uh, when I have them in the mediation room, I can relate to them. And it helps me understand better their issues and their their perspectives and many times why they what they care for why they do the things they do so it really helps me to connect with them easier that is so important because mediation is for everyone it's not just for it's not just for the execs it's not just for the part-time person it's anybody and so that means we all need a space where we feel understood where we feel like we don't have to explain every single thing in order to have a good experience and to deal with whatever issue it is. And so all those kinds of experiences, I encourage you, especially if you're a young, a young worker out there listening to this, think about the different kinds of experiences that you can get. Because, I mean, I regret some of my time at the last university I was at. I just stayed in my lane doing philosophy and, and I, I expanded a little bit. But looking back, I think, man, I could have done a lot more. I could have looked at this committee. I could have, and then I would have had more connections and I would have been able to pour that back into my students. If Because the more you know and the more you network and the broader your vision, it helps the people that you serve. Absolutely. It's funny that you said that because I, you know, reflecting on my past experience, I also feel like perhaps I could have, being more proactive in seizing opportunities, even in that role or in the past in different roles, like to also, while I was in the role, like to to take some steps to share more of my perspectives, be brave to test my ideas, even when they diverged from the group consensus, and and take responsibility whenever it was there was an opportunity and and try the new things because I think on some occasions it stopped me only because oh I haven't done this before but on on other occasions I was like I'm going to go for it so you know I think I wouldn't say like I never took a risk but reflecting back because those times that I took risk had always don't get me wrong, some of them were quite challenging, but have always ended up like helping me grow a lot and making a big leap, no matter how challenging they might have been. So I think, again, my my advice to my younger self would have been like, test more ideas and, and try more new things and, you know, embrace the uncertainty and you will you will get there. I think that's great advice. I also like what you're saying about courage. The, we get courage by doing courageous things. And if we don't do courageous things that we don't develop, it's a virtue and you it's a habit. You get it by doing it. And it's scary. Yeah. If it's scary to you, then you need the courage to do it. It may not be scary to the person next to you, but it doesn't matter. We're talking about, you know, I'm talking about me and, and my yeah, development. And so thinking about who do I want to be in the future has everything to do with the choices I make today. And so do I want to be a person of courage? That means I need to do those. They might be little things, but that's how habits form. The little steps that we take in our organizations, outside of our organizations, where we build up that self-confidence. And even when we fail, we say, oh, the, the sky did not fall around me. I can try again. But we do. We get it by doing it. Absolutely. 
So Tuba, what about a negative work experience, maybe a conflict you had at work? Can you tell us about a situation like that and how you dealt with it? I wouldn't call it a negative experience, but perhaps I can tell you about like in the first couple of years, I really struggled to find my voice in the legal profession. And uh, and I touched upon that a little bit earlier, but I, in the hope that this may resonate with other people, I'd like to share that uh, a little bit more like in the hierarchical structure of the legal field. I think it makes it very difficult for, for young lawyers to express their opinions and uh, and it can quickly become a pattern which you you know repeat in, in later stages of your it's it has been difficult for me to break that cycle. Uh, and and it's a shame because sometimes young and ex- relatively inexperienced people can have very valuable insights to share and uh, and also the the nature of legal work involving often involving very high stakes you know creates this sense of pressure that i need to get things right and and creating that safe space uh, it it was a negative experience that i didn't feel that safe space was there i didn't feel like i could do mistakes and somebody will have my back and and help me to find the, the right way so that was a lot of a lot of pressure and i couldn't thrive in in, the, in that environment and on top of that adding the competitive environment and not having like mentor support and the peer support and not being able to build the relationships all coming together made a really really difficult experience for me and it was really difficult to find my voice and and develop a unique professional identity I felt like, you know, to be able to succeed, I need to, I need to copy others who were, who were there, you know, the, the more experienced like partners and, but it was, it was not me. Yeah. So when you think about the future of work, so this is a question I'd like to end at, what do you, what do you see from these different experiences you've had and in different cultures? Is there some kind of unify, unifying theme that you think needs to happen so that we can have work environments where everyone is treated well with dignity and respect and that we flourish? Well, I'm a very strong advocate to promote open communication and and you know fostering understanding, empathy, bridging differences to cultivate this culture of inclusivity and, and collaboration and I think there is no um, magic recipe for for these things, but it it starts with setting good intentions and structures uh, to to cultivate all this, providing a safe and supportive space for for employees and uh, to express themselves and invite their thoughts, not only false feelings, also their concerns. Uh, where they can talk about their concerns, where they feel like it's it's okay to talk about their concerns, and uh, you know, and of course, not just talking about it is not enough. Also, empowering them, giving them the tools uh, 
to to find common ground to have a better understanding and uh, and support them for their continuous growth so i think there is a lot of elements but it all starts by setting a, a clear intention and in communicating that intention and working together because I don't think it can be just a top-down approach. Okay, here are the resources we have. I think it also organizations should seek feedback, 360 feedback and and adjust what process is working for. You know, there are there are tools in in place but it may not work the same way for for everybody. Every organization has their unique needs and and culture. So, I think it's also important to to invest in listening to them and see what works for them and and constantly adapting. We live in a very rapidly changing world and I feel like things can get outdated very quickly also. Although, you know, many of the conflict management principles are kind of universal and timeless, but but still, it doesn't mean that we don't need to to tweak them or we may be getting ahead of, our, of ourselves. And there may be a, an essential step that we are missing before before we get, get there. So again, you know, the, the, the essential principles of conflict management, like listening to each other and making, making space for those conversations, I think is very important. I agree. Those are universal. And I think it's universal because whatever the future holds, it holds for humans. And I am an essentialist. I think there's something essential about humans and that we ought to be treated well. And that looks like making, as you said, a safe space, communicating, listening. And I love what you said, respect and wanting to hear people's thoughts. Oh, my goodness. If, If organizations really set that intention and acted that way, how much better the organization would be. Absolutely. Well, Tuba, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute delight talking with you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for the invite, Mary. Thank you. Well, take care. You too. Thank you, Tuba. What an absolute delight chatting with you today. Conflict Manage is produced by Third Party Workplace Conflict Restoration Services and hosted by me, Mary Brown. You can find us online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. If you are interested in little video tips about how to deal with conflict at work, you can find me on TikTok at 3P Conflict Restoration. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time.